0: So I want to welcome you again today. We're so glad that you're here. Man, a packed house today. I hope when you came in you received a uh, a pen and some sermon notes so you could follow along as we go together. That'll that'll look like this. Our ushers will come down the aisle and give you some if you didn't receive it. Just kind of wave at them and they'll uh, they'll hand you one. Uh but I reached the um about 3 weeks ago I reached the low point uh of my life as uh of what used to be known as an athlete. Have any of you ever reached that point in your life where you used to be something um, and then it becomes real clear that, uh, that you're not anymore. I had that experience a few weeks ago, and, and here's what happened. I, uh, I went to eat lunch with my kids at school, um, and if you've ever gone to do that, uh, it's really interesting. They make you feel extremely awkward in the Lee Summit School District because if you come to eat lunch with a kid, they kind of like sit you in the corner as if you're in trouble. You're not allowed to sit with them and their classmates. And uh, I, I went, and I took my little girl Casey lunch, and then I took my 10-year-old son Christian lunch. Uh, and we were sitting at lunch, and I, earlier in the year I had taken him lunch, and right after lunch is recess. And we had gone outside at recess, and we had played kickball together. And as far as I know, my son plays kickball every day at recess. So we were sitting there eating lunch, and I asked my son, I said, Hey, Christian, do you, um, you want me to uh, come to recess after lunch with you? And he said, uh, That's okay, Dad. And I said, well, Aren't you, aren't you, aren't you going to play kickball? And he said, No, I, I play four square now. And I could tell that he was lying, because you can just tell your kids are lying. But I thought, you know, okay. And I said, well, you, do you want me to come play fourth grade? No, that's okay, Dad. I thought, All right. Didn't think much of it. Uh, and we were kind of sitting And Three or four minutes later, he said, uh, Dad? And I said, yeah. And he said, Dad, do you think if you did come play kickball, you could, uh, you could kick the ball better than you did last time? You came and played <laughs> kickball? <laughs> and I said, well, what do you, what do you mean? And he said, well, Dad, you didn't, you didn't kick it very hard last time. And the dads usually kick it hard. So, like, if you did come and play kickball, could you kick the ball harder? And I said, Christian, I'll, I'll kick the ball hard. And he said, okay, then, then you, you can play kickball. And I said, you don't play four-square, do you? And he said, no, I just play kickball every day. Um, I thought, well, okay. Uh, so we went outside to play kickball, and we lined up along the wall. And you know, half the kids were on one team, and half the kids were on another And I, you know, I was like a giant compared to all these fourth graders and they're waiting for me to get up. And, you know, Christian kicks right before me and right before he goes out to kick, he comes back and he says, no, you know, dad, when you kick, kick it high. And I said, all right, I'll kick it high. So he gets up to kick and he kicks a real good kick and runs around the second base. And I get up to kick and all the kids move way back. And you can see Christian is like, yes, this is my dad, um, so they roll the ball, in and I kick as hard as I can, but I almost missed the ball. And I just kicked like a soft little kick to second base. And I saw Christian just, he was on second base, and he just did this. And, you know, I ran to first. They didn't get me out because I'm faster than most of them because they're only 10. Um, but so I run to first base, um, and I get to first base, and then the inning switches, and we change. And, like, he won't come anywhere near me. Um, so, you know, like the bell rings and he goes in for recess and he runs off I'm like Christian and I go to grab and he kind of walks up to me, put his arm around me um, and I said, did I did I embarrass you? And he said, yeah, and he kind of gave me a, bat, a pat on the back and he said, you can go home now. You know, and the, the, <laughs> the pat on the back was like, loser, you, you know, just go home now, dad, um, you know, and I left and I thought, man, I was so embarrassed that my son was so ashamed of me. Um, and as I walked off, you know, I literally, you know, at that moment, I was for every rule against dodgeball in elementary schools and every rule that didn't let kids pick, um, you know, captains who would pick a team because I thought like I would I, I am now the last kid picked in kickball. I mean, I have become that kid. And as I walked away, I thought, man, how bad must my son feel ashamed of his dad? And I thought about that word shame. And, you know, it's one thing to be ashamed of your dad. It's another thing to be ashamed of yourself. Uh, And if you're if you've been at our church a little while or if you're brand new to our church, we're in a series, a sermon series at our church called Words with Friends. And we're teaching on what we believe are life impacting words. Last week we talked about blessing. Uh, A few weeks ago we talked about forgiveness. Uh, Today we're talking about the word shame. And what I have found out is I have begun to study the Bible. I have found out that this this, not only this word, but this thought of shame uh, is one of the strongest words, it's one of the strongest emotions, it's one of the strongest life-shaping things um, that there is in life. So I want to talk to you a little bit today about the word shame. But here's what I want to start off with. Before we get into this, I need to let you know a few things. and, And if no one before in your life has said this to you, I need you to hear this today. Because a lot of people carry around a life full of shame. As a matter of fact, after our service today, uh, we'll have baptisms, we'll baptize 22 people. And I was reading, one of the young men emailed me his testimony uh, so that he could have it for this morning. And in his testimony, I was, I was reading it, and I mean, I couldn't believe he said what he said, because I thought, this is exactly what I'm speaking on today. But he said, if I could describe my life in one word before I became a Christian, he said, I was ashamed. I was ashamed of who I was. I was ashamed of who my family was. I was ashamed of the things that I did. If I could describe my life in one word before I became a Christian, I was ashamed. Uh, And here's what I need you to know before we go much further today. You need to know that you are not your past. You're not your past. You need to know that you are not your greatest failure. And if we just passed a mic around and had people list their greatest failure. There's some people in this room that have done some pretty dumb things, but you are not your greatest failure. You need to know that you're not your most embarrassing moment in life. That doesn't define you as who you are. And that's not how God looks at you. And that's not how the world looks at you. You need to know that you are not your biggest mistake. You're not your past. You're not your greatest failure. You're not your most embarrassing moment. You aren't your biggest mistake. Those may have all been things that happened in your life, but they don't have to define who you are in the eyes of God and in the eyes of people. And what I learned as I began to study the Bible is I learned that no one in this room was ever intended to forever be identified with what you perceive as your greatest flaw. God didn't intend anyone in here to carry your greatest burden for the rest of your life and for that to define who you are as a person. God doesn't see you as just someone who's divorced someone who's unemployed someone who's an addict someone who just got fired God doesn't see you as someone who lost their home and we could go on and on and on God doesn't see you as a bad parent God doesn't see you as a bad child now you in your past may have been those things you may have struggled with some of those things Right now, but you are not your past You're not your biggest mistake And you don't have to live with shame in your life. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Genesis chapter 2. That's where we're going to hang out today uh, in our Bible study. And if you don't have your Bible, our ushers are going to come down the aisle. And they're going to pass out Bibles. We love to give out Bibles at our church. You don't have to take one. uh, But we love for you to have a copy of God's Word in your hand if you want to. So, ushers, I'm just going to ask you to kind of walk up and down the aisle. If you need a Bible today, just wave at the usher. If you forgot yours, you can just use this one and throw it on the table when you leave. Uh, If you don't have one... This is yours to keep. Put your name in it. You can have it. We've given away almost 300 Bibles since our church has started to people just in a service who who don't have a Bible. So if you need one, great, we'll give you one. And I think our ushers are probably rallying the troops to get more. So when they walk up and down the aisles, just wave at them and they'll give you one. But we're in Genesis chapter 2 today. And we're talking a little bit about the story of Adam and Eve. Um, In in just a few weeks, we'll start a brand new sermon series that will last all summer long called Bedtime Stories. You might have seen the little poster in the back of the auditorium of David and Goliath. The men who were with me in Israel uh, and I just last week were in that very spot. It looks very much like that, except there's grass there now. Uh, All of us picked up there's only one little brook that runs through that valley They call the valley of elah uh, And we all took a bunch of rocks from there to bring home to give to our kids Because that's where david would have collected the rocks that he used to kill goliath And we're going to teach on the greatest bible stories like david and goliath But one one great bible story uh, is the story of adam and eve And today we're going to look at this word shame through the story of adam and eve starting in genesis chapter 2 We're going to look at verses 4 through 7 and then we're going to flip over a little further and look at verses 15 through 25 and Genesis 2, starting verse 4, says this: This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created. When the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, verse 5. Now, no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, no plant had yet sprung up, for the Lord hadn't sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth, and they watered the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground, and he breathed into the nost- into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. Skip over to verse 15 now. The Lord God took that man and he put him into the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you're free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you'll certainly die. And the Lord God said, it's not good for the man to be alone, so I'm going to make a helper suitable for him. Now, the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals, all the birds of the sky... He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs, closed up the place with flesh. Uh, Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man. And he brought her to the man. And the man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called Woman It's interesting that the Bible says that whatever Adam called something, that was his name. I've heard some Bible people say, you know, why is woman called woman because Adam woke up and there was a naked woman next to him. And they said the first thing he said was, whoa, man. Um, and forever she was, whoa, man. Um, I doubt it happened that way, but uh, it's a good way to remember it. Uh, she shall be called woman for she was taken out of man. That's why a man leaves his father and a mother is u- and, and their mother and is united to his wife. And they became one flesh. Verse 25, here's the key. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no, what's the word there? Shame. Say it again. Shame. The way Adam and Eve were intended, the way Adam and Eve were created and intended to live life was without having any shame when it came to having a relationship with God and without having any shame when it came to relationships with other people. Adam and Eve were intended to live in a relationship with God where they weren't embarrassed for God to know everything in their life. And they were wide open, honest with every other person in their life. They were created to live a life where God accepted them. People accepted them and they were not ashamed or embarrassed of anything. But that didn't last long. Now, if you have your Bibles, look at uh, chapter three, because in chapter three, something happens that ruins everything. And we see that Adam and Eve were created perfect, weren't embarrassed to hang out with God, weren't embarrassed to be around other people. There was nothing in their life they were ashamed of, but then everything fell apart. Chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree of the garden? So the woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you can't eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. You must not touch it or you die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes are going to be open and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were open and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day and they hid from the Lord. Uh, the lord god among the trees, but the lord god called to the man. And said, where are you? And he answered I heard you in the garden and I was afraid Because I was naked so I hid And he said who told you that you were naked Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from and the man said the woman you put here with me Uh, she gave me some fruit for the tree and I ate it now verse 12 right there men You should probably never do that um when God asks you why you did something wrong, never blame your wife. It'll just go better for you in life. God said, did you do that? And he said, no, uh, she, she did it. Uh, verse then, verse 13. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me, uh, and then I ate it. You know, it's interesting that Adam and Eve, when they were first created, they could be around God without being ashamed of who they were and what they'd done They could be around each other without being ashamed of who they were and what they had done. But the minute that sin, the minute that sin entered the world, the first human emotion felt after sin was shame. The first thing that happened to Adam and Eve were they were ashamed of themselves in the eyes of each other. So they realized they were naked. And I don't think there was as much shame and oh, no, I can see you and you can see me as all of a sudden they felt vulnerable around other people. The very first thing that happened, the very first emotion after sin was they felt ashamed around each other and they didn't want each other to truly know each other like they used to. They, they were embarrassed and they needed to kind of cover up. The second emotion was shame against God. They heard God coming and they said, run and hide. God is going to know what we've done. God is going to know who we are. And here's the thought. When sin entered the world, Adam and Eve looked at each other and said, I don't know that they're going to like me anymore. I don't know that they're going to accept me anymore. I think they're going to judge me. And they were ashamed to be in front of each other. And then when God came, they said, man, there's no way God's going to like me in this state. And they hid from God. You know, Webster's Dictionary defines the word shame as a painful emotion caused by consciousness of guilt. A painful emotion because of something we've done. A consciousness of a shortcoming. Something we couldn't accomplish. A condition of being humiliated, disgraced, or disreputed. Something that brings reproach. Something to be regretted. That's what Webster's Dictionary says that shame is. A painful emotion because we realize we weren't good enough at something. We did something wrong. People look at us negatively. We regret something that we did. And it forever impacts how we interact with people. And it forever impacts how comfortable we are being around God because this emotion inside tells us, run, you're not good enough. You don't want people to really know who you are. You don't want people to really know what you've done. God certainly doesn't want to be around you after you've done that, after you've failed here, after you tried to do that and you weren't good enough. That is what shame is. And spiritual shame, when we look at it scripturally, is really seen in fractured relationships. The the trouble that we have in trying to really be close to God because we're ashamed of who we are. The trouble we have of being wide open with people, meeting new people because we're ashamed that they might figure out who, who we are. Um, and when we understand what shame in our lives does, it's not good. Shame... Kind of isolates us as people, I want you to look, we're going to look at Genesis three just real quickly again, just a couple verses at it, uh, and I want to show you and you'll be able to see this on your sermon note outline. I want to show you the results of shame according to Genesis chapter three, because immediately three things happen that aren 't good, and some of you find yourself in these three spots today, like you walked into church this morning. This way, and maybe you didn't even realize it was because of shame that you were feeling in your life, but you look at it and you say, man, that's that's me. Guess what? One day, that was all of us. And hopefully, as we learn to move past some of these emotions, we, we can move forward. The first result of feeling shame in our life is we immediately feel disconnected from people. And it's not that we don't like people, but we think people might not like us. We think they'll look at us differently. We think that they'll judge us. And you know what? Maybe some of them do because not everyone is a good-hearted person. But when something goes wrong in our life, it immediately makes us want to climb in a hole. Wide and because it disconnects us from people. Look at Genesis 3, 7. The very first result of shame. When the eyes of both of them, Adam and Eve, were open, they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and they made coverings for themselves. This was the first mask that was ever put on in human history. I don't want you to see me vulnerable again. Now that I have messed up, I need to cover up where I've messed up, and I don't want you to see me vulnerable anymore. You know, it's really interesting. In 1890, um, a man by the name of Nathaniel Hawthorne wrote a book that described the uh, what I would call the threat of the early Christian church, specifically in the Puritan movement of the New England area of the united states and here was the thought that the church more than anyone and you know what i don't know that in 2012 a whole lot has changed but the thought was this in the church if you do something wrong people will know about it people will remember it and they will shame you forever so nathaniel hawthorne wrote a book about a pastor who had an affair with a woman in his congregation her name was hester print the author's name was Arthur dimsdale maybe you remember the story And Hester Prynne, her husband, had stayed over in England. She had come over from the colonies, and he never came and never showed up, and she thought that maybe he had died. So she had an affair with this pastor, and she got pregnant, and she had a child. And because she would never out the pastor, who she had had an affair with, that she got pregnant with, uh, the people in the town, uh, they basically identified her as an adulterer. And remember what they made her do so that she would always remember The sin that she had committed in that town and in that church, remember what they made her wear on her chest? A big scarlet A, scarlet letter. You know, some of us don't wear a scarlet A on our chest, but we do in our mind and we do in our life. Because we think as we walk around that everyone sees us by the greatest mistake that we've ever committed. That everyone sees us and looks at us through the lens of the most embarrassing moment in our life. That no one will ever let us live down our past. And if you read that story, the scarlet letter, Hester Prynne was never able to take that A off her chest. And in fact, the pastor who got her pregnant, Arthur Dimsdale, was so guilty, he actually branded the letter A into his skin with a hot branding iron, although he never told anyone what he did. The shame carried by the mistake impacted their life forever. And that's how a lot of people are spiritually. They're just never able to get close to anyone because of this thought. Man, if they really find out who I am and what I've done, I'm just really ashamed of who I used to be. So shame disconnects us from people. Result number two shame disconnects us from God. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 10. God comes to find Adam and Eve. Before this, it says God and Adam and Eve used to hang out all the time. They were buds. They walked in the garden. They had a good relationship. Adam and Eve never felt embarrassed hanging out with God. But all of a sudden now they hear God and they're like, run, hide. God's coming. And God says in verse 9, hey, where are you? And Adam says, we heard you in the garden and we were afraid. Because we were naked we were afraid because we were vulnerable. We were afraid God because we screwed up We were afraid God because you you know, we know that this is your expectations for our life and God We actually lived our life this way and God we think that like you, you want to kill us or you are going to reject us or you can't love us? or you are going to judge us and all we've heard God is that you don't like people like me because i'm an addict Because i'm divorced because I failed. Because I have bad habits. So God, I would love to be close to you. God, I would love to maybe one day go to heaven. God, I would love to be forgiven. But I can't be because I just, I've just i done too much. I'm too ashamed. Shame disconnects people from God. Man, maybe the greatest example of this in Scripture is the Apostle Peter. For those of you who know the story, Jesus had kind of 12 guys that he was mentoring. They were called disciples, later called apostles, which means the official representatives of Jesus. And right before Jesus died, he told his disciples, Hey, I'm going to be arrested, and I'm going to get beat up pretty bad, I'm going to get killed, and just kind of hang in there. And Peter said, Hey, I'll hang in there forever. And Jesus said, Actually, you're going to get freaked out tonight, and you're going to leave. Peter said, Not me, I'll never leave. I'm the strongest Christian that there ever was. And Jesus said, Actually, before the rooster crows, which means before morning, You'll deny me three times, and you you will show of all the disciples that you're probably the weakest. And lo and behold, that happened. It actually happened. Uh, We were at of the many places that we went to in Israel last week. um, One of the places we went to was the very courtyard where Peter was when he denied Jesus three times. I think we've got a picture of it that we can show. Yes, right there. This this would have. I mean, this has been uncovered to first century levels. This is where somewhere in that space is where Peter would have been, And, and Jesus was right inside in a house. Uh, this is where peter would have been when he said I don't know jesus uh, I don't know jesus and then literally said strike me dead if i'm lying. I don't know jesus I don't love jesus. I don't care who jesus is He had this huge disconnect from god And what I thought was so interesting is we were walking around this area and we were looking at all this area There was a statue go to the statue if you would And it literally peter has been commemorated in this monument of these three denials that I don't know who Jesus is. And as I was taking this picture, um, somebody mentioned, hey, there's a rooster on top. So I took the next picture, which shows the whole thing. And there's the rooster up on top. There's the three people he denied Jesus to. And then on the bottom of this monument is, is written this inscription saying, I don't know the man. And I thought, wow, what if someone set up a monument to the worst moment in your life? I mean, you know, we set up monuments for things that people do well. I mean, you have to think even in heaven, Peter's looking down at that saying, look, like, can we like take that down now? It's been 2000 years, you know, at least knock the, the rooster down. I mean, a monument to our failure. And then I thought, you know what? We all have monuments to our failure in shame. We don't want to drive by the house that we lost to foreclosure. Because it's a monument to our failure. We don't want to drive by the abortion clinic where we had a pregnancy terminated because it's a monument to our failure. We don't want to drive by our old place of employment where we got fired because it's a monument to our failure. We don't want to drive by the courthouse that processed our divorce because it's a monument to our failure. We don't drive by certain places on the road because it's where we got stopped for our first or second or our third DUI because that place in our mind has become a monument to our failure. And I thought, you know what? This truly is the nature of shame when you can't even go by something because it's become a monument to your failure. You're living in a state of shame. And what it does is disconnecting you from God. That's where Peter was. After this moment, the Bible tells us that Peter quit his job as a professional disciple and he became a fisherman again because he thought, God can't use me now. I mean, my gosh, I've got my own statue of how bad I did spiritually. And the Bible says that Jesus found him a few days later and they went and had breakfast together and Jesus kind of said, Look, you messed up. I got it. I can still use you. You don't have to be disconnected from me forever. I can still use you. So shame disconnects us from God, but God says, Listen, You can get over that. And I can use you again. And then result number three, and here's where maybe some of us are today. Shame causes us to refuse to accept responsibility for our actions. Because shame is the cousin of pride. They're related. And really shame is just kind of pride raring its head, making us feel bad about what we've done. Really more than that is making us feel like we look bad because of what we've done. And shame causes us to blame somebody else for what has gone on in our life, which doesn't allow us to get healthy and move past it. You say, where is that? Chapter 3, verses 11 through 13. So God says to Adam, who, who told you that you were naked? Did you eat from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And the man said, well, the woman you put me here with me, she gave me some fruit and I ate it. It's her fault. And God said, Eve, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, uh, the serpent told me. It's his fault and no one wanted to say I screwed up Adam didn't say I messed up. I knew I wasn't supposed to do that and I did I'm sorry Adam said it's her fault and eve didn't say I messed up. I knew I wasn't supposed to do that And I did it and i'm sorry. Eve said the devil told me to do it And then god, you know, he didn't turn toward the devil But he said, you know, you're going to be cursed because you've been trying to mess up people from the very first day of creation you're trying to disconnect people from people you're trying to disconnect people from God and, and we can't do that And what's interesting is the first step of overcoming shame I mean the first step of really dealing with things in our life is taking responsibility For at least the small part in the mess up that we have had And you know what? I don't know what you're dealing with today um, but probably if there's a hundred percent of blame to go around Probably at least .01 of that is something maybe you could have done differently. And the first step of dealing with shame is saying, you know what? I was really done wrong, and he did this, and my boss did this, and I did this, and this happened. One of the first steps of dealing with shame, like Adam and Eve should have done, was saying, you know what? I shouldn't have done that. I messed up. I messed up. And, And when you can begin to admit, hey, I'm not perfect. I messed up. You begin to realize God can forgive you. You can leave it. And you can start over, but just admitting where you messed up doesn't bring you any closer to God. The, the question, you know, we we the results of shame is we're disconnected, disconnected from people, disconnected from God, struggling to disconnected from responsibility. You say, well, how how do we begin to reconnect to these things? Like, you know, Christian, I, I I get the message on shame. I appreciate it, and yeah, that's that's me. That's where I am. Struggle to connect with people because of what's gone on in my life. Struggle to feel close to God because of what's gone on in my life. But how do I change that? Two questions we're going to ask this morning and try to answer. Uh, Question one, how do we reconnect to God? Question two is going to be, how do we reconnect to people? The answer for both is going to be the same. And it's going to be a very interesting answer. Say, Christian, how does the Bible say that when I live in a state of shame, when I've really messed up and I feel distant from people and distant from God, how do I begin to fix that? The Bible says the answer to moving past shame is to get dressed. And I want you to write that down. He said, what? What do you mean get dressed? I'll show you in a minute. The answer is to get dressed. Because this thought of this nakedness is this thought of vulnerability. It's this thought that I have a, I have a hole in my life that I need to cover up somehow. So I'm either going to cover it up with pride. I'm going to cover it up with reputation. I'm going to cover it up with different things. I'm going to cover it up with isolation. Or I'm going to cover it up. I'm going to get dressed with the way that God tells me to get dressed. Very interesting. If we keep reading in Genesis chapter 3, we won't, but if we did, the way that God fixed Adam and Eve's shame. He said, look, I know you all are ashamed. I know you all are ashamed to be around each other. I know you all are ashamed to be around me. As a matter of fact, all the mosaics and pictures we see today of Adam and Eve have the little leaf, you know, around the the sensitive areas uh, of the people. God did not give them a leaf. That was their own feeble attempt to cover themselves. It didn't work well. God said, listen, I will cover you up. And the Bible says that he took two, what we believe were probably deer. And he killed them. And he made them garments that would cover them up. This was God saying, listen, you don't have to feel vulnerable around me. I love you just the way you are. Put these on so you don't feel vulnerable anymore. This was God helping Adam and Eve. Listen, understand, listen, you don't need to feel vulnerable around each other anymore. Just put these on and cover up and everything will be okay. So there's been this thought that when we fail, that God dresses us so that we don't feel vulnerable anymore, so that God dresses us so we don't feel shame in our life. See, so okay, so God says, get dressed. What do I wear? Do I need to go kill a deer and wear deerskin? No. The Bible says, New Testament specific, that what we wear in order to feel close to God uh, is a piece of clothing that the Bible refers to as righteousness. And as a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul will tell us take off shame, take off the things that distance you from God, and put on righteousness. Put on how you actually live for God. Here's what it says in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 20 through 24. This isn't going to be on the screen. Yeah, it is. You guys are good. You already put it on the screen. Um, so this, this, uh, this will be on the screen behind me. Ephesians 4, 20 through 24. Here's what the apostle Paul says to the church in Ephesus about feeling distant from God and distant from people and about coming back into a relationship with God. Paul said, That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and you were taught in him according to the truth that's in Jesus. They were trying to find other ways to God. Paul said, that's not the way you do it. Here's how you feel close to God again. He said, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and in holiness. So here's what the apostle Paul does. It's, it's a word picture. Of what some of you really need to understand and see spiritually. Paul says before you became a Christian. um, He said you you existed in one type of life. And he said you're you know you wore one type of life and maybe this life. Who knows what type of life this is for you? But, Paul, you know, Paul says maybe your life before Christianity, maybe I was a womanizer. Maybe I was negative. Maybe I was a gossip. Maybe I, I was an alcoholic. Maybe I was mean. Maybe I used foul language. Maybe I laundered money. I mean, on and on and on. You know the things you did before you were a Christian that, that you asked Jesus to forgive you of and change in your life. And Paul says when you become a Christian, he said what you do is, he said, you take off the old life. And you throw it away. And he said, you put on the new life. Righteousness. And he said, all the different, all all of a sudden, you're dressed different spiritually. And you begin to look different. And you begin to act different. And the things you used to do, you don't do anymore because you took them off. And they're not there anymore. And what happens is a lot, of, a lot of people when they become Christians, they never feel close to God because here's, here's the way they dress spiritually. They, they, um, they look like this spiritually. Well, I kind of, I, I took off a little bit of my old life. And I put on, a, you know, like I go to church. I have a little, little bit of the new life. But here's how we look. I'm a little bit of the old me, a little bit of the new me. And we never fully take off the old life and put on the new life. So I can stand and in my new life talk, man, church was great yesterday. And God really moved. And then I can talk to someone about spiritual things. And then I can turn and I can begin to talk negatively or pessimistically. I can begin to gossip about somebody, you know, I can I can turn in my, you know, standing in in the hallway at work. Man, we were really praying for Martha today. We heard what happened. Well, we were really praying. And oh my gosh, Becky, look at her butt. It is so bad. Be- I mean, you know, it is, um, got to be less than 35 to even get what I was just <laughs> implying there. But this is the way a lot of us look spiritually, right? And, and we say, you know, i got all these friends in my life who don't even know I'm a Christian. Why? Because they only see the right side of you. And i got all these people in my life at church who think I'm this great Christian leader because they only see the left side of you. But listen, you're halfway in and halfway out, and because you're never going to feel close to God because you've got to walk in sideways. And a lot of Christians never truly throw the old self away and put on all the righteousness. And you know what, you know what the big excuse is? Well, that's just the way I am. No, that's just the way you were. You need to change in Jesus Christ. That's what the Bible says. Well, I was, just, I was born that way. I don't care how you were born. You were born again this way. This is what it looks like. And when I hear people excuse sin by just saying, that's just the way I am, I want to say, no, that's just the way you were. The Bible says you take off the old. You put on the new and you truly are a different person. And what is the new? Righteousness, trying to live your life for Jesus, trying to do the right things. I love what David said in Psalm 17:15, And David here is picturing Adam on the first day of his life. David says this, "...because I am righteous, I'll see you. When I wake up, I'll see you face to face and be satisfied." If you remember the narrative in Genesis chapter 2, God formed man out of the dust of the ground. He breathed into him life. And I want you to picture this now. God is standing over Adam. The Bible says he breathed into Adam through his nostrils. Adam's body of clay begins to exhale. Adam looks up. And what is Adam looking at? He's looking directly into the face of God. See, at that time, he's close to God. He's not vulnerable spiritually. He's perfect. And David said, that's the way I want to be. I want to wake up and not feel distant from God, but be looking right in his face. Righteousness does that this in this is a theme in scripture this 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 theme of actually living for god which we would call righteousness in james 1:22 through 25 james says don't merely listen to the word and deceive yourselves do what it says Anyone who listens to the word but doesn't do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what he's heard, but doing it, they'll be blessed in what they do. What is James saying? He says the Christian who puts on his Sunday coat. And is a good, I mean, carries his Bible and raises his hands and gives in the offering and watches the babies in the nursery. And then on Monday takes his coat off and goes back to work and becomes a a cussing, drinking, negative, swearing, treat my wife bad, treat my kids like garbage. He said that is not the type of Christian you want to be. You can't be two people. You can't do that. You can't be two people. James four four says, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? To try to say that you love God, but you never want to put away any of the old things you used to do, can't do that. First John two, fifteen through seventeen, don't love the world or the things of the world. Uh, the things that it offers you. For when you love the world, you don't have the love of the Father in you. The world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, a pride in our achievements and possessions. These aren't from the Father, they're from the world, and the world is fading away along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. See, the Bible says if we try to live for God, God sees that, God loves that, God rewards that. But Hebrews 11.6 says you have to believe that. Do you really believe that God sees your life? Do you believe God loves you? Do you believe God rewards you when you try to live for Him? This is what Hebrews 11.6 says. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to God must believe that God exists and that God rewards those who seek Him. Anyone who comes to God has to believe that he exists and that he rewards people who seek him. So let me ask you, do you believe that God exists and that he loves you and that you don't need to be ashamed and that you can be close to him and that he will reward you for taking off the old and putting on the new? You know, if you can't believe that, you'll struggle to get rid of the shame and lay it aside and say, I am who I am, but God has made me new. It's interesting. We were in India for just a few days and we visited some of the girls that our church supports there in three different orphanages that our church supports And at uh, at one of the orphanage put up that picture uh, I got introduced to this little girl I can't tell you her name because there are a lot of girls that get rescued out of really bad situations And they change their names before they allow us to start writing letters and stuff And I know her real name, but I, I can't tell you that right now Three days before we got there this little girl was sold by her mother on the streets of Chennai for four hundred dollars Because her mom didn't want anything to have to do with her anymore She took too much upkeep. She had to watch her too much so she just got rid of her and, they, and, and found her way to the orphanage. And there's 125 girls, very much like this young lady, which our church just adopted. And I said, hey, we'll take care of her, um, who we played with throughout the day. And when we first got there, these girls didn't know us. They didn't trust us. They were kind of spooked by us. You know, we had lunch together and they kind of sat way on one side of the table. Um, you know, but as we began to play with them, these girls began to loosen up. And they believed that uh, they began to believe that we cared, and they began to believe that they could trust us. It was interesting because we had two different game times with us, and you know we kind of had to chase them around to uh, you know get them to try to play kickball, throw the basketball, just do whatever out in the middle of this desolate country field with a wall around it that they call an orphanage. Um, but as you started playing with them, and they understood, hey, these these are nice people who are here to help us. Um, they started calling me because they didn't speak great English. They started calling me uncle. So I had the, like a hundred and 25 little Indian girls following me around, uncle, 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 uncle. So, you know, I asked the guy who was with me who spoke that language. I said, "What are they calling me?" And he said, "Uncle." And I said, "What does that mean?" It's kind of like uncle in the English languages. He said, "You, you have become like an adult that they can trust, so they call you uncle." Oh, that's cool. So we played with them a little while, and then we gave them all the letters that our church had written to them, um, and they went and wrote a bunch of letters back that we'll have for you in the next few weeks. Uh, and we began to play with them again, and they all went from calling me uncle They were chasing around and they started calling me brother 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 Um, and I asked god said what are they what are they they saying now? Uh, and he said brother. I said what does that mean? He said that means they, you know, they kind of You know, they're kind of like seeing you as a family member now. They know you care about them Um, and I said do they ever call anyone father? And he said no, they don't know what that means And I thought interesting they don't even know what a dad or a father is. They never call anyone. They don't know what that is. And, you know, there's a lot of people who struggle to get close to God because they don't really know who he is. They don't really believe that he can love them and that he doesn't really care what they've done in their past. He can cover that up and he can love them through that. And there's a lot of people who struggle just based on Hebrews 11:6. They just don't understand what a loving God is. So if we're to overcome shame, we have to have a concept of God where we understand that God forgives us. We have to have a concept of God where we have to understand that God covers our shame, so we don't have to be ashamed to hang out with him anymore. We have to have a concept of God that he changes us from one thing to another thing. And we have to have a concept of God that he wants to be our spiritual father and, like, really love us and take care of us. So we reconnect with God by living the way that God tells us to and not wearing around two coats for our entire life. So how do we reconnect with people? And I'll go quick here. Um, the answer is the same. The Bible says we get dressed, but we're going to put on a different type of spiritual garment to connect with other people. And here's what's really interesting: um, when you study Scripture, you hear David in Scripture being as honest as I wish you and I could be, but we don't. But you hear David begging God that um, that basically God won't ever let him be disgraced, be ashamed, because David knows that, you know, being around people you're ashamed to be around is one of the hardest things you can do in life. So in Psalm 31, one, David says, Lord, I, I've come to you for protection. Don't let me be disgraced. God, God, I want to be close to you, but I, I don't I don't want to be embarrassed around people. I don't want to be ashamed around people. So, God, I want to be close to you, but I, I, I don't want to be ashamed around people. In Psalm 25, 20, he says, protect me. Rescue my life from them, people. Don't let me be disgraced, for in you I take refuge. So here's David saying, I'm close to God, but God, I, like, God I'd like to be close to people too. I, I don't want to be embarrassed. I don't want to be ashamed to be around people. In Psalm 25, 1 and 2, David says, Lord, I give my life to you. I trust in you, but don't let me, don't let me be disgraced. God, I don't want to, I don't want to like always be embarrassed, ashamed around people. Because they look at me as a single mom. And they look at me as someone who's divorced. Or they look at me as someone who's divorced several times. Or they realize that we're the family that uh, that got evicted from our home. Or, God, they, they realize that, uh, you know, um, we, we're the family where my husband got arrested for a domestic dispute. Or y- you could go on and on and on. God, please don't let people think of me as that guy or, or that girl, that dad who can't kick a kickball past the second baseman because all the kids laugh at me when that happens. I mean, that, that's the thought is I don't want to be embarrassed. See, so you what do I wear? The Bible says the answer to not experiencing shame around other people is that we wear humility. And what's really interesting about this is you and I, um, you and I really wear this. W- without putting it on, We we everyone is wearing humility. This thought of every one of us is wearing a humble cloak. And what's really interesting, if you look at scripture, um, the words humiliation and humility are almost the exact same word. The only thing that's different is the catalyst of humility versus humiliation. Humiliation is being humbled by somebody else. Somebody puts you in your place and humbles you. That's humiliation. I was humiliated. Somebody put me in my place. Humility is you choosing to humble yourself. So shame lives in humiliation. Somebody put me in my place. Freedom lives in, hey, I've realized who I am and what I've done, and I put myself in my place, not because I deserve to be there, but, hey, I made a mistake, and that's where I ended up. But I'm going to move on from here It's really the same clothes Humiliation and humility They just, they just fit differently a little bit Have you noticed how clothes fit differently today? Have you, gone into a, have you, ever, have you been to like one of those clothes stores um, That like you can't buy clothes there Unless you weigh like less than 60 or 70 pounds Has anyone been to one of those stores? And the anorexic person behind the desk Just looks at you like you know, Listen fat dude There is nothing in this store That will fit you That you can also breathe in at the same time I mean clothes today are becoming like so tight and small and you can choose to wear things that don't fit you well and you're covered, but you're just uncomfortable. Or you can shop for yourself and wear things that will fit you and let you breathe a little bit. But at the same time, um, you're covered. But you've chosen to cover yourself. In Colossians 3:12 through 15, we get this thought of covering up with humility, clothing ourselves with humility. Therefore, Paul says, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, Gentleness, patience, bear with each other, forgive one another. If anyone has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. So you see like a whole closet full of clothes here. And let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, since as members of one body you are called to peace. And be thankful. Philippians 2, 5 through 8, we find out that what Jesus put on to help us spiritually was humility. Uh, Paul says, in your relationship with each other, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God. He didn't consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself. So listen, humility admits, I've really missed the mark spiritually. I missed the mark maritally. I missed the mark as a parent. I missed the mark as an employee. I missed the mark as a human being. I've I've just messed up. Humility admits that, but it doesn't identify with it. So I admit that's who I was. But I don't identify with that's who I am. Because God has changed me. So I admit that's what I did, but I don't identify with that's who I am. We don't ignore it. We just don't identify with that's who I always am. David in Psalm 40 verse 12. I love this. David admitted in humility, my life was messed up spiritually. He said, trouble surrounds me, too many to count. My sins pile up so high, I can't see my way out. They outnumber the, the hairs on my head. I've lost all courage. You say, how many sins did David commit? David says, I can't remember, just a bunch. Well, like how many? Like more than the hairs on my head. Well, like how many? I can't even remember. I just, like I really messed up a lot spiritually in my life. David was honest. In humility, he said, that's who I was, but it's not who I am. Paul, the Apostle Paul, said this in 1 Timothy 1.15. I want you to hear this statement because I don't think anyone in here believes this about themselves. Paul told Timothy, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of who I am the worst. I don't think there's anyone in here who thinks they're the worst sinner who's ever lived. But Paul said, I'll claim that. Maybe I was, maybe I wasn't. But I was pretty bad. But God changed me see humility admits yeah i messed up my, i failed in a marriage i didn't raise my kids the right way i lost my job i bought a house that i couldn't afford and i got evicted from it i'm addicted to alcohol i've got an addiction to pornography i used to do drugs see humility admits that's who i was but it's not who i have to continue to be i admit it i don't identify with it and what it allows you to do is not only not live in shame around others, but it allows you to become a minister to others who are doing the same thing. I heard a pastor once say, it allows your scars to become stars. Hey man, this is where I screwed up. But I heard you're messing up in this area too. I got out of it. I can help you. Humility admits it, and it brings people along to help them out as well. Man, one of the greatest verses in Scripture is Psalm 25.3. And I, I'm going to stop with this thought and then we'll pray today. David says in Psalm 25, 3, No one who hopes in you, God, will ever be put to shame. No one, God, who puts you first and tries to live, or, live for you will ever have to live their whole life with a big A on their chest. Because instead they'll, they'll be forgiven and they'll, they'll wear righteousness and people see that their life has been changed by you has your life been changed by God are you like Adam and Eve every time you're around kind of a spiritual thing you run from God because you're embarrassed of who you are and what you've done do you struggle to be in church because you think everyone in church is going to judge you because maybe you're just you're not just like them today you can take your shame and you can throw it away and say I'll admit that's what happened to me but that's not who I am and you can move on in a different and new way I'm going to ask you to bow your heads with me and close your eyes and we're going to we're going to pray together this morning And we're going to pray for several things this morning But the first thing that I want to pray for If you're in this room And you have never Connected to God You feel like your whole life you've been disconnected from God Because of Who you are and what you've done Today all that can be ended Because God loves you And God can cover your shame Your past And God can change who you are Into the best person That you could possibly be he can forgive you. He can change you. If you're in here today and you've never become a Christian, by asking God to forgive you and by acknowledging that, hey God, I, I believe that Jesus loves me, that He died on the cross for me, that He rose from the dead for me, and even though I can't prove that, I trust it. And God, I put all my hope in you today. Forgive me and change me. Then I, I want to help you take that step today. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed across this auditorium. But if that's you, Today, you want to connect to God and become a Christian. And you've never done that before. I want you to pray this prayer. I'm going to pray a prayer and you pray it after me. You don't have to say it out loud. You don't even have to move your lips. Just pray it in your heart. Because God hears the prayers of our hearts today. Just pray this, dear God. I want to be connected to you today. I don't want to have to run and hide from you anymore. So I pray that you'll forgive me for my life. Which is not been lived to your standard that you'll cover up everything in my life that I've done wrong that you'll remove it from me and that through faith in Jesus that you will save me from the punishment of my sins that you'll forgive me and that one day you'll give me eternal life in heaven today God I reach out to connect to you save me change me Today I invite Jesus into my life So that I can become a Christian With every head bowed and every eye closed Please nobody looking around Out of respect for those around you If you just prayed that prayer today And became a Christian Like many have done at our church Since we started in September Would you just slip your hand up around this room And say Christian I prayed with you Just up quick and down quick You don't even have to hold it up long Christian I prayed with you today Yes Yes Now with heads still bowed and eyes still closed I know there are a lot of Christians in this room Some that wear two coats in their life. One to church, one to work. Some that just wear two every day, depending on who they're talking to on which side of their life they're two different people. If you're one of those people today, you need to stop. You need to take off the old self and put it down. And you need to fully embrace who Jesus has created you to be. No more excuses. That's just the way I am. No, that's just the way you were. God has created you to be brand new. If you are in here today and you've been wearing two coats, I'm going to ask you to repent. What does that mean? I'm going to ask you to ask God to forgive you because you've been in the wrong. And I'm going to ask you today to ask God to fully clothe you with righteousness so that you may live for him. I'm asking you Christians that have been Christians a while to pray that prayer. I don't have to pray it for you. You can just pray it right where you are in your seats. God, forgive me. Help me to devote all of me to you, not just half of me. I don't want to wear two coats anymore. Help me to live in righteousness. And if you're in here today, is my final prayer this morning. And you're living in shame because like Hester Prynne, you feel like you've been tattooed with your past, with your worst mistake, with your biggest failure, with your greatest embarrassment. Today, I'm going to ask you to give that to God. Say, how do I do that? It's really more emotionally than physically. You're just going to say, sitting where you're sitting today, God, I'm not going to worry anymore when someone comes to talk to me if they're going to bring up that thing. And God, I'm not going to duck down the grocery aisle when I see someone coming towards me because I'm embarrassed. And God, I'm not going to isolate myself anymore because I'm embarrassed. God, today, I'm going to admit, yeah, this is who I am. This is who I was. This is what happened in my life. I admit that that happened, but I don't identify that that's who I am. If that's you today, today lay down the shame. Walk with your head held high. And the humility that says, yeah, that was me. But it's not me anymore. You can move forward today with the help of God. The help of Jesus. Ask Him right now to help you. God, we love you. Man, we need you like so desperately. All of us need you. Lord, I identify with both David and Paul uh, because I think about all the... I can't even remember how many sins I've committed. There's just, there's like way too many to count. There are way more than I, even a number I could come up with. But you've forgiven me. Thank you. And God, when I think about the ministers in this city ministering today, at least someone in Cass County, probably I am the most unspiritual. I have the furthest to go. And God, I admit that. But I ask you to take me where I need to go. Help me to be more like you. And to be able to, in humility, walk with my head held high spiritually. God, we love you. We ask these things in Jesus' name today. And everyone said, Amen. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. And do not worry about the thunder. We've got plan B for baptisms in case it's raining outside. If uh, if you're here today, please fill out the connection card and let us know that you're here. If you're a first or second time guest, just mark that. Tell us uh, that you're here. Thank you for being a guest of our church today, whether you're in town or out